Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. At just 19 years old, Raven Saunders, a.k.a. Hulk, placed fifth in the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. After returning home, she fell into a deep depression due to unresolved childhood traumas and she was hospitalized to address her mental health issues. Now in a much stronger place emotionally and physically, Raven is headed to the 2021 Games in Tokyo, but this time she returns to the Olympics not only as an athlete, but also as an advocate for mental health awareness. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, your host, and this is Motivational Mondays. And so from there, you become an Olympic athlete. And you're riding high off of that moment. You're in the Olympics like 19. I believe you were the youngest female shot putter in the Olympics at that time. You're riding on the high wave of that. And then you come back home. And that is when you start to move into an emotional depression back home, dealing with unresolved childhood traumas. Right. For me, I had been dealing with depression for pretty much as long as I could remember. And it wasn't until I actually got a therapist at the University of Mississippi that I actually had a name for what it was that I was going through. But after that Olympics, I was able to give it a name and identify what it was exactly. And it was just like crazy because, you know, I transferred from a smaller school to the SEC, you know, it's this big school. And it was just a lot of demands already over the whole entire year. Still hadn't had a break, had to get back and move. But once I got the track season, I'm like, okay, it's the Olympic year, got there. I mean, I get a parade when I come home. Everybody around campus knows me, my professors. So I'm at this level of like, I'm riding like a super high. I didn't get a break. Literally, I got back from Rio on a Thursday, went home that Friday. Then I flew, had to fly back that Sunday evening because I started school on Monday. So I had about like two weeks off from training, but I mean, I'm in the midst of like starting the beginning of the semester. So everything is constantly going. And at this point, it's just like a lot on my plate. I remember like when I got back in August, I was still waiting on a check for the next month because we don't get like a check in August. So those bills weren't covered. And it was just like a lot. One of my teammates was staying with me because he hadn't gotten his check yet. It was just, it was so much going on going into that year. Mentally, I was drained. I made it back around to that 2017 year. Things were going great. Started out great indoors, got hurt outdoors, missed most of my outdoor season, came back, lost NCAAs, which I was the reigning champion two times. And then that happened. And I'm like, oh my God, like what's going on? Rebounded back, won the USA title, was good. London came around for world championships, did pretty much horrible. I made the finals, but not like our finals of our finals. After that, at that moment, I would always equivalent like my self-worth to, you know, how well I was doing in track or how many records I broke, how far I threw, things like that was how I equivalented my self-worth. So going through a really hard outdoor season, coming back and, you know, everybody's still putting all of the same amount of pressures on you, not having a break since my sophomore year of high school in all actuality. It was a lot. It was a whole lot on my plate. 
Yeah, and you really had no tools in which to navigate through that, right? Because what you talk about often is that the athletics are the priority for so many of the students, and that's where all the focus would be, right? Even people who would normally support you, your teachers, your family, they're sort of always driving the excellence in your field versus saying, baby, you okay? <laughs> you, you know, like just stop in a moment and be like, baby, are you okay? Like emotionally, because I think it seems like the prize is the big payoff for athletes. So I think I understand why that would be the drive. But what you're saying is that there's not enough attention being paid to the emotional state. It really wasn't. Because I remember if I look back, like, honestly, the only time those questions like, and, you know, sincerity, not like, you know, uh, how are you doing type question. And you're just like, okay, when people actually meant it, it was more so like when I would go see my therapist outside of that, you know, everything was like sport related or school related or tutor related or things like that. Like how's training, how's training and not necessarily asking about how's the person behind all of this and how are you dealing with all of these pressures? But, you know, with that said, you do mention in your story often how what led you to find help was that you reached out to a therapist, right? And you mentioned that you were having these thoughts. And so tell me about that. I mean, how you reached out to this therapist who was a a previous therapist from years back. So tell me a little bit about that and why you reached out. So she was like my main therapist when I first got to Ole Miss. She was like working through the athletic department because we would have these like tests or whatever you take and whatever happened, like the test or whatever. And so I got a therapist when I was there and she actually had gotten promoted after that 2016 year. So going into my junior year. So I ended up getting a new therapist by the end of my junior year or like the second half of, but when I was going through everything mentally, I think my therapy sessions had already ended for a minute, but my previous therapist before the last one I had was the only person I felt comfortable enough saying everything to because she was the only person that knew exactly what I was dealing with, be it like, you know, with coaches or with practice or with home life or with family. She was the one person where I actually felt comfortable enough to release everything to because I knew it was a safe space and it couldn't leave the room. But when I was in the midst of on my way to to this drop off of where I pretty much had decided where I was going to follow through with my suicide attempt, she was the only person I texted. I actually still have the messages to this day in my old phone of what I texted her. And it literally, I sent the message, not knowing if it was still her number, not knowing if, you know, it was disconnected or whatever the case may be. And I had already made it up in my mind. If she doesn't respond or if this isn't her number, then, hey, that's a sign. But literally, it was like two lights before. It was like a drop off of where, you know how they have the highways and then some of them don't have like the side barriers, but you see like a lot of trees and like a a dive kind of like that's pretty much how I had decided to like go. So I already had my mind set up on what it was that I was going to do. And about it's an intersection. If you go to the right, you go to my house. If you go to the left, the drop off is on the way to campus. And I already had done a big loop around campus and it was on the straightaway heading towards that intersection where I texted her, I, I, I got caught at a light and I was texting her and, and stuff like that. And then I was finishing up as I was driving and I clicked send and not even like, I don't even think it was like a full, like two, three minutes later, she texted me back and that text literally saved my life. I think people of color, specifically African-Americans, there's a stigma in that community, in our community, where we don't go get help. We don't talk about our problems. Did you ever have that sort of dynamic at all when you were looking for therapists? I didn't actually start looking for them until I got, well, and I was given one when I got to college. So initially for me, I remember like meeting with her and I was like, kind of like, you know, 
who are you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know what I'm going through, like, you know, initially. And then like, I think it was like the second session. I was just like, Hey, well, all right, here it all is. And like you said, in our community, because even in, in like my particular household or family, like we would never necessarily talk about anything mental. And it wasn't until I went into my first institution where they actually flew my mom out. I mean, we got to have a conversation that I found out that my grandmother suffered from depression. So it's something that could have been genetic. And a lot of the things in association with mental health were never discussed outside of, oh, you're crazy. Like, that's a crazy house. That's for white people. You know, it's not, that's not something we do. In all actuality, I feel like so many of us are holding on to so much that needs to be released that it comes out in other ways, shapes and forms that we don't even necessarily realize the connection. And that's what happened to me. Now, another story that interested me that sort of fuels why you came public with your mental health struggles was the story of Bryce Gowdy. And I know that you read an article about him in 2020, and he was a 17-year-old African-American from Deerfield Beach, Florida. And I know that he had been living through some hardships with his family and um, going through some things. But tell me why those dots were connected for you between your story and his. So tell people a little bit about what his story was and how you connected to it. The thing was, he was a young African-American dealing with so many struggles in life, and he lost his battle. And for me, being in a position where I understand what it's like to go through hard things at home and then coming into an environment and being clouded with so much and feeling like I have to take my life in order for all of this to be done with and all of the struggles and all of the pain to be over with. And I was fortunate enough to still be here. And that really made me realize, like, I already knew that so many people were dealing with it, but also seeing another athlete end his life so soon and seeing, you know, my transformation even up until that point. I mean, I was coming back from hip surgery and everything. I felt like I had to say something because I felt like there were, it was some athlete somewhere or whatever who maybe looked up to me or knows who I am a little bit that may be going through the exact same thing that could take something away from my story. Because it was something I like, I battled with myself back and forth for a little bit about posting because it was something so personal and so vulnerable and so many people really weren't talking about it. You know, it was still like, you know, on its way up. And I was like, I, I have to say something. I have to say something. And then I think it was like a two year anniversary from the last time I competed indoors, like two, three year. It was three year anniversary, actually, since my last indoor competition and realizing what happened. I was like, yo, I, I got to say something. I have to help somebody. Or, you know, I need somebody, you know, it it definitely put me in a very vulnerable space when I first opened up about it. But thankfully, my support system knew that, you know, with me opening up to the world pretty much about my story that, you know, I would need as much support that was around me. So people call and check in and things like that. Like, how are you doing? And then over time, as I got a chance to talk about it, you know, a lot more, it didn't have such as heavy as a burden on me. More recently, Naomi Osaka is having that conversation. So do you think in any way or some small way, hopefully, that the sports industry has taken notice and is listening to the fact that athletes are saying, hey, we need someone to help us balance our lives more emotionally as we go and try and get that gold medal for the country and you make sure that I'm okay? Like, is that a good support system coming from all of this now? Yes, I feel like now more than in the past, there's definitely a lot more support and a lot more understanding in the fact that like more athletes and elite level athletes are speaking up because as athletes, everyone always tells us it's 90 percent, you know, mental, 10 percent physical. But 
for so long in the past, it's always been promoting the 90% physical aspect and only 10% mental. You know, I'm better than you mentally, but look at what I can do physically. When all actuality, it's really the mentality that gets you the physical ability. But when that mental starts to dwindle or something happens to it or whatever the case may be, then people don't pay attention to it, but you're still having to deal with it yourself. We're so concerned with living up to others' expectations and delivering what they think we're supposed to be that we are neglecting the self-care aspect, right? And I think that's a part for you too, because you didn't even stop and, well, you didn't have the time really, right? To stop and... (laughs) Meetings, classes, tutors, traveling on the weekends, going all summer, coming back, starting school, going, doing it all over again year after after year. Well, I was waiting to have you log on. I was uh, able to check out some other stuff. And I discovered the Unstoppable Gatorade video that just was amazing. So tell me about that project and working with Gatorade in this little kind of autobiographical promo that I just happened to see today. Yeah, so Gatorade did a, a wonderful job of capturing me and Trayvon Bramell's story and intertwining him. It was really nice to see, and I, I really hope that what people take away from watching it is that we're just like anybody else. A lot of the things that we've been through are your everyday challenges that so many people go through, injuries, you know, mental setbacks, all of those things. But it's about not what happens to you, but how you respond. And we were both able to go up to this really high level and then be brought back down to dang near below sea level. I mean, when it came to injuries and all these things and people counting us out and people not thinking that we'd return. And now we're two of the best at what we do in our own respective events. That whole project was, I I loved it, every bit of it and how it turned out. It was really, man, it was nice. And you have a very similar project with PBS, which is also amazing. And they have a docu-series, Out of the Dark, and you are also featured in that one as well. So is that a very similar sort of project in which it's autobiographical and you're discussing some of your experiences? Yes. So the well-being piece was more so directly related to my mental health battle and my mental health journey in itself. And it pretty much stated like, you know, the highs and then the lows. And really you get a chance to kind of see trigger warning. If you watch the video, they kind of take you through like the process when I'm talking about, you know, my suicidal ideologies, and how I was actually on the way and being down that road. But that piece was the first piece that really kind of like put out my story out there. And they did a wonderful job of putting it into, you know, something that was visual for people to see that made it easier to kind of identify with certain, certain parts of it. My whole thing with it was that it's not the fact that, you know, I went through and then I got the help and now I'm cured. No, that's not how depression works. I I suffer from major depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Like that's not how it works at all. But the thing was that I learned different tools I learned how to have different support. I learned how to communicate the things that I needed, though my body and my mind would be like, no, don't say it, keep it to yourself. I learned how to break through certain things, being in my depression or being in my anxiety with how to make it you know, a lot easier on me. Yeah, just by using all those different things. So what advice would you give people who are still sort of on the fence about coming forward with their mental health issues and maybe the stigma attached to it, how would you tell them or advise them to get beyond that point? The thing that I would tell them is, especially when you're in your depression, you're uncomfortable, regardless of whatever it is, you're, you're uncomfortable in the safe space you're in. And I would like to advise them that it's going to be uncomfortable to start breaking through those things, to reach out to someone, 
to go see a therapist. And if that therapist doesn't work, you know what I mean? Trying to go back and see another one. But the thing, you're worth it. You're worthy. You have to constantly give yourself constant affirmations, even when you don't feel like it. When your mind is sitting here telling you, you don't deserve to be here. You're not this, you're not that. Me, I took it upon myself to be like, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. I will succeed. I will succeed. I will succeed. And even if in that moment I didn't believe it, after constantly waking up every day or every time those thoughts would come in, reassuring myself of those things, eventually you break through and you're like, okay, I can do this. I can get up. I can at least try this. I can try to get out of the house and go get some fresh air and not sit in this dark room all day or for the next couple of days. I can try to call that friend and at least attempt to explain like, well, hey, I'm I'm kind of going through something right now. I just want you to check in on me every once in a while. I just, you know, I, I just need you to listen to me for a second. No judgment, just listen. And just really trying to really just fight yourself on it because it's really an internal battle. It's not something that someone else can come in and do for you. So I really just advise you to keep pushing yourself, keep believing in yourself, keep understanding that you're worth it and you're worthy and you're worthy of being here. And that if you keep pushing through it, there is going to be something big that happens for you. You're going to turn life around so completely because looking back on my story, if I had ended my life, I feel like I would not be on the path to being able to help change so many others or help give someone else like just that little glimmer of light to be like, I can be here a little bit longer. I can be here longer and keep pushing and fighting for myself at the very least. Thank you to everyone listening today. And don't forget, you can find us everywhere you stream and download your favorite podcast. We'll see you next week on Motivational Mondays.